The Heart of Art is sponsored in part by the Texas A&M University Art Galleries, which includes the Stark and Forsyth Galleries located inside the MSC. The galleries provide a variety of opportunities to experience art exhibitions, events, and hands-on activities. More information at uart.tamu.edu. The Heart of Art is brought to you by the Academy for the Visual and Performing Arts at Texas A&M University, bringing innovative and culturally diverse visual and performing arts programming to Texas A&M University and the Brazos Valley. The Academy for the Visual and Performing Arts fosters the creativity of our community via the transformative power of the arts. The Heart of Art, scoping the Brussels Valley for the best artists and bringing them to your radio. Hello, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome back to the KME Studios. My name is Hector Nino, and you're listening to The Heart of Art. Today, we have a very special show planned for you, our last show of the year, of the year 2022. Uh, we will be revisiting my interview with Catherine Hastett, who is the director of the University Art Galleries here at Texas A&M University. This interview took place back in September of this year, September 26th, and uh, she is in charge of all the art that goes on on campus. Everything goes through her desk, and we talk a little bit about how this art is chosen to be on campus, and we talk also about her feature on the KMU production Texas A&M Today. Uh, so stay tuned for that. And for the second part of the show, I will be interviewing Waylon Lee, who in April of this year was the president of Hardcore Dynamics. I am not sure if he still is, uh, but we have a great conversation about acapella and its little quirks and how he um, is both a member of an acapella group and an aerospace engineer. All right, and now for our announcements. Uh, I just wanted to take some time to thank my listeners. Uh, if you are listening, a big thank you. Uh, if, you if you've been listening from the beginning, um, I did want to thank all the artists also that came uh, to be interviewed uh, about their art. Thank you for being vulnerable and putting yourself out there in the radio. Uh, and a big thank you to my sponsors as well, the Academy of Visual and Performing Arts, as well as the University Art Galleries. Thank you so much for supporting this project and for making this possible. Um, if you do know of any artists that uh, want to be interviewed or if you know of any art events, make sure to email theheartofart at tamu.edu. All right, let's start with the show with uh, my interview with Catherine Hastead. Hello, Catherine. How are you today? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Awesome. I'm so excited for a conversation today. Um, I've had Liz Appleby here and uh, Jen Korolenko here, so um, I'm excited to finally have the director here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, I wanted to ask first, uh, what does being the director of the URT, UART entail? Well, uh, our department oversees two galleries, the J. Wayne Stark Galleries and the Forsyth Galleries in the Memorial Student Center. We also uh, are in charge of maintaining all of the public art on campus, so all the statues around campus that you see. We are tasked by the university to maintain an inventory of all the art on campus. So basically, we are the art resource uh, for the campus. So anything that's art-related usually comes by my desk. 
All right, cool, awesome. <laughs> so you are in charge of uh, ex exposing the community to all the arts here at A&M, right? Yes. Awesome. And um, I mean, your interest in art is very evident. Uh, was this a passion that you had since you were a child or? Well, yes, my mother and my aunt were both painters, not professional painters, but uh, they loved it. And ever since I was a little girl, we were dragged to museums and I fell in love with that and tried to dabble a little bit um, when I was in college, um, a little bit of painting and drawing and really, really enjoyed that. And that stirred my interest in art history and the rest is history. <laughs> um, and where, where was this? Uh... I attended Franklin and Marshall College. This is in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And then from there to the University of Michigan at Ann Arbor, right. where I studied both art history and classical archaeology. Okay, and are you from Pennsylvania? No, I'm actually no. from New York, although yeah. my family is basically from Michigan, Michigan area. Okay, okay. And did um, growing up in New York impact your love for art at all? Well, when I, it's, it's interesting you should ask that question because whenever you say you're from New York, people assume New York City. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I'm not. It's a big state. Okay. Yeah, true. <laughs> I'm it from the Figure Lakes area, so uh -huh. um, oh. not as many art museums in that region as you would find in New York City. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm a Texan, so that's all I think about when I think New York. <laughs> like the big city in the arts. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Been there many times, but nope, never grew up there. All right, all right. Um, uh, so you went to Franklin and Marshall College, mm -hmm. right, in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. And what did you study there? I studied art. Art, okay. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, both and practical and the historical aspects. So. Okay, awesome. Um, and what, what requirements does an art piece have to have in order to be shown here at Texas A&M? Well, I'd like to bring in exhibitions that I can tie into the curriculum in some manner as a way of encouraging the faculty to use the galleries as, in a manner that maybe they hadn't thought of before. So we will bring in exhibitions at the Stark Galleries in particular, um, anything from the traditional fine arts to history, sociology, archaeology, anything that I think will get students interested. because. Uh, we've done surveys of college classes that have come through, and I'll ask them, okay, those of you that have ever visited an art museum before, raise your hand. And it's only about 10%, because lots of Aggies come from very small towns. They don't have access to that. And so that's what we're striving to do, is to expose students to the fine arts. Right. And I mean... Um, from what I've noticed from the exhibitions that you guys have at Stark and Forsyth, um, it is very much like the overlapping of different subjects. There's art and there's science and there's history. Like, And I love that you can combine all that with art. Well, that's as I said, that's what we try to do because it's so disheartening when I will hear a student walk by and say, well, I don't, you know, I'm not interested in that. I don't see how that benefits me. And I just want to grab them and drag them over and explain exactly why this does benefit you knowing because the arts... Um, it's been proven statistically that the arts uh, encourage uh, creativity in the mind and how you look at things in a different way. Mm -hmm. um, that's exactly what engineering students need, what ag students need, business students need. It's it's all there for everyone. Yeah, they all need to think outside the box, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And how did you end up here in the Brazos Valley? Well, I came down here um, originally to study um, nautical archaeology. Okay. Um, but I had a history, a background of working in museums, and when a graduate assistantship opened up in the University Art Galleries Department, I got that job and worked my way up to become director. Awesome. And um, I saw that you were also part of other organizations here in the Brazos Valley, such as the Brazos Valley Symphony, Voices for Children, and Brian Rotary Club. Um, 
do you think these positions have um, helped you in your current position as director of the UART? Absolutely, yes. I mean, I like to give back to my community, which is one of the major reasons why I was part of the fundraising um you know, past fundraising campaigns for the symphony and for Voices for Children. And Brian Rotary does a lot for our community. And so I wanted to join a group that was mostly non-A&M because you get kind of siloed here at A&M. I know lots of people at A&M, but maybe not so many out in the community. So I wanted to reach out to an organization that would allow me to meet business people and, and also give back. Right. That's great that it gave you kind of like a foundation for knowing people within the community mm -hmm. as well. Great. Um, why do you think it is important for members of the community to be exposed to the arts that are being available by Texas A&M? Well, um, we are the closest art museums for at least a 90-mile radius. Right. Um, and so we really want to reach out, especially into underserved areas like Hearn or Calvert or the small towns that surround us and encourage them to come. Yeah. We're free which is a great benefit. I mean, you're not going to get that if you go to the Museum of Fine Arts Houston. Not at all. <laughs> so um, we're able to bring in just as high quality exhibits as you would get in the major cities, and we offer them for free. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so make sure you go and take advantage of these opportunities. Mm -hmm. um, I did want to ask you something a little bit more personal. Uh, what pieces have inspired you the most? Oh, gosh. <laughs> Um, I've been doing this for 36 years now. That's a tough question to answer. Yeah, I, bet. Um, I would say the ones that are most memorable for me, um, I really like the scope, outdoor sculpture Minos, which is located uh, between the Blocker Building and the Hell Booty Building on campus. It was the first public art commission that the university did um, in 1992. Um, one of the goals that I had coming here was to diversify what the public art was. Now, this campus is, of course, very traditional, very conservative, and there's a lot of figurative bronzes, which I laughingly call DWGs, dead white guys. <laughs> yes. um, and I wanted to kind of broaden the spectrum of what public art could be. And so this was the first non-figurative piece to be put on a campus, and I thought that was inspirational. Yeah. I, I sat on a committee for many years um, that reviewed all new building projects for the campus. And one of my goals was to get them to think about art inside the building because it was always an afterthought. Mm. And they would call my office or my department and say, we need art. And I'm, I'm, I would reply, I am not the interior decorating office for this campus. Right. And so I really wanted them to think about setting aside some money in their building projects for public art and have had some success with that. I'm very proud of the fact that we are able to get more and more new buildings on campus to have public art pieces with them. Thank you so much for, for bringing that to A&M. Um, Kim, you actually released a, a show, and it's called Texas A&M Today. And there you talk about wood carvings. Are those the ones found in the MSC? Absolutely, yes. Rodney Hill, Rodney and Sue Hill were commissioned. The, the first uh, six, I believe, were done for the sesquicentennial. I, I think that's correct, mm -hmm. um, depicting the various aspects of Texas A&M at that time. And then later on, there was a seventh one made that sort of brought it up to date. It had student affairs and th different things that were, um, but they're wonderful, wonderful wood carvings. And they take about two years to produce. Wow. Um, and he, Rodney and Sue, devote a lot of effort into doing the research and creating the cartoon that then becomes 
sort of the map for how he's going to carve the pieces. Um, and for many years, um, since I work in the Memorial Student Center, I would walk by them every day. And we always had an issue because um, several of the panels had little mini revelies on them. And unfortunately, people would snap off the revelies. Oh, no. And then Rodney would make a new one and he'd uh, adhere it to the plaque and then that one would go away. Um, so fortunately now they're behind glass so people can't do that anymore but they are one of the most popular things to visit when you visit the Memorial Student Center. Oh yeah, I mean seven tiles you said? In I total? think there's seven, seven yeah. Tiles. And it took two years to complete completely? Two years from start to finish to do a panel, yes. For one panel? Well, he was working on six at the same time, but they do a lot of research. It really takes him about almost a year just to do the research and figure out what should be included on these panels. And they are um, very intricately carved. The the panels themselves are probably about four to five inches thick, walnut, Mm -hmm. and they're about, oh, I don't know, six feet wide each one. And the carving is sometimes completely in the round, so the individual pieces you could stick your finger behind them. Oh, if you okay. understand what I'm, it's kind of hard to talk about that on the radio. But yeah. <laughs> um, thank you for the visual. I appreciate it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, well, that was a uh, very fun. To, not fun, I shouldn't say. Interesting to clean because there's all the nooks and crannies and trying to get the dust off. And um, right. glad I don't have to do that very very often. <laughs> How did you clean it, by the way? Oh, we used uh, Q-tips and um, makeup sponges with um, wood cleaning products. All it right. took a lot of time. Mm-hmm. And where can people see this? There, It's in the main floor of the Memorial Student Center, right across from the flag room. All right. Well, I encourage people to go and check it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hear there's a, a new Reveille statue coming to campus. Yes, this is the latest public art project. Uh, we... Uh, always do a competitive process whenever we do public art. Mm-hmm. And so we did an, uh, an international call for artists to submit their um, examples of their work through images and their CV. And a jury met, narrowed it down to three artists that we thought might be good, then asked them to come up with a concept, make a little maquette or model, and present that to the jury again. So the three artists presented, we narrowed it down to the one. And so um, it is actually at the foundry right now, being cast in bronze. And it's going to be something unique for this campus because part of the base of, it's basically, how to describe this? It's Reveille running, standing on an arch of circles and the circles represent the rising and setting of the sun. And it's called Forever Reveille because the rising and setting of the sun never stops. Mm -hmm. And it sort of mimics the aging of Reveille, who starts out as a young dog and then becomes old and retires, and then there's a new Reveille. So it's Forever Reveille. And as part of the base of the sculpture, there's going to be embedded um, a tag that you can scan with your cell phone, and it'll take you to a web page. It'll give you more information about the history of Reveille. Awesome. So, well, yeah, hitting two birds with one stone, in, in educating people on Reveille, and then also seeing something beautiful. Yes, and it was completely donor funded, which we appreciate. Um, they really wanted to have an image of the mascot. It's going to be placed over by the Reveille graves at Kyle Field. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
because they were concerned that people would see the Reveille graves but not understand anything about Reveille. Right. Especially people that are not familiar for campus. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Oh, that's great. <laughs> great news. Yeah. We're also working on two other um, public art commission competitions. Yeah. One is for the ILSQ building, which is just being finished over across the railroad tracks. Um, um, if you know where the clock tower is, the bell tower, it's right across the railroad tracks from that. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's a new building, and that's going to house both chemistry and architecture. And so it's a combination of arts and sciences in one building. So we get a lot of cross-disciplinary, hopefully, um, activity in that building. Mm -hmm. So that's exciting. So we're going to have an outdoor piece there and an indoor piece. And then the ILCB, which when it was built was called the 21st Century Classroom Building. Mm. That one is also going to have uh, a piece, an outdoor piece on the uh, second floor patio area and with it will be a companion piece just inside the building on a wall hmm. so those two will be by the single artist but they have to relate to one another okay so those are exciting i'm i can't wait to see what we get yeah that, that's so exciting and are, are people still submitting their cover letters for well that, we or? haven't actually started advertising for it oh, yet okay um it'll be about a one-year process so artists still have the opportunity to put in their resumes. Yes, absolutely. Okay, great. Well, I encourage any artists to participate in this, yes, please. Just go to our website, uart.tamu.edu, and there'll be information there on how to submit. All right, great. And what else can people see in that website? Any? Well, if you're interested in the public art on campus, we have a page that uh, covers all the outdoor sculptures. Um, gives little snippets of information about them and where they're located. A&M actually has a pretty good map through the university's um, marketing and communications um, put together a map that's interactive that you can just click on and it'll pull it up and show wow. you exactly where it is. Awesome. Um, and uh, we also have a searchable online database for the art collections, both in the Stark and the Forsyth galleries. So if you're curious about a particular artist, do we have that artist in our collection? You can search that online through our website. Great. And I can, I've also seen you have like 3D virtual tours, right? We do. Wow. We have a very talented marketing person, Molly Painter, and she has been working on interactive 3D tours. So for people that can't make it to campus, of course, it's always best to see the art in person. Definitely. But if you can't make it to campus, you can go on a virtual tour of the exhibitions. Not everyone is going to be as detailed because it takes time to put these together. Mm-hmm. But... Um, when we have a particularly important show, um, Molly will spend more time and actually tie content directly to p- individual pieces that you can click on, and oh. it'll give you more content. Yeah, so if people want to know mo- more about it, they can go into Sure. That, right? It might be an audio or a video clip. Could be anything. Wow. That's even m- much more than what you'd expect <laughs> going to a museum. All right. Well, Catherine, thank you so much for stopping by and enlightening us on the arts here at A&M. We definitely appreciate it. My pleasure. All right, you guys, we will be going on a quick break, but do not go anywhere. We will be right back. (music) 
Support for KAMU comes from the Academy for the Visual and Performing Arts at Texas A&M University, bringing innovative and culturally diverse visual and performing arts programming to Texas A&M University and the Brazos Valley. The Academy for the Visual and Performing Arts fosters the creativity of our community via the transformative power of the arts. And welcome back to the KMU Studios. My name is Hector Nino, and you're listening to The Heart of Art. Now we will be listening to my interview with Waylon Lee, president of the acapella group Hardcore Dynamics. Hi, Waylon. How are you today? I'm doing great. How about yourself, Hector? Doing good. Um, I'd like to go over the background of my guests first. Um, so where are you from? Uh, I'm from Houston. Houston, uh, I okay. grew up, born and lived, and then came up here in College Station, yeah. Cool, cool. And has music always been a part of your life, or when did that start? Yeah, I guess I uh, I started music around third grade. Uh, I started playing piano, then moved on into middle school and uh, started picking up guitar and then uh, played was playing the flute. And then come high school, I was in choir and uh, just really kept along with that until I got into an acapella group. Are you in school currently? Yes. Yeah, and what are you studying? I'm a PhD aerospace engineer. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and I saw uh, that you also do full-time work in mission control for NASA? Yes. Uh, yeah, so I, uh, I, work, um, I work over down in the control center in mission control, um, and I work on the guidance navigation controls team uh, working on the first Artemis mission to send us back to the moon. So that's uh, Awesome. Congratulations on that. That sounds like a big feat. <laughs> oh, it's really fun. I yeah. love it. All right. And, um, I mean, being in acapella and then being in aerospace engineering, I bet, like, you're a master in time management. I mean, <laughs> was this something that you had to work on? Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, it, it really started my second semester junior year, I would say, my time management, right? So mm-hmm. for engineers, a lot of us, uh, you know, going through undergrad, um, second semester junior year really was the kicker. Um, and so we had, I mean, just so much work to do. And so I, I realized, I was like, I got to make sure I manage every bit of time. So kind of just decided to stick with how I manage my time uh, strictly. And then it, you know, it works out really well. Why did you initially decide to join acapella? Um, so I didn't want to stop music. Um, I did choir and I sang um, and I just didn't want to stop it. So I decided to try out for an acapella group. I sang, I uh, audition for beatboxer as well and I and I got in and I was like wow that's that's awesome I get to stick around and get to do that for another couple of years so awesome so do y'all have like two separate auditions for that like for the beatboxer role itself um yeah so the audition process for me was uh interesting because um typically people only try out for one or the other mm-hmm. and so I, when I tried out for both I did basically you know saying did like my uh warm-ups they range they gave me my range um, and then uh, sang a solo, and then after that, I would show them a little bit something of what I can do uh, beatboxing-wise, okay. and then that was the first round, and then we have a callback round, and then we sing a different solo, um, and then we also uh, get a sheet of, get some music for us to learn, and so we learn it, and then we practice and try to see how we blend with the rest of the group members and stuff like that, and then after that, you get selected. Awesome. And you didn't have any acapella experience before that, right? Before that audition? No. I mean, the closest, I guess, was singing Valentine's in high school choir, but nothing right. nothing like that. And was that a, like a difficult transition, like the difference between choir and acapella? Um, you know, I don't think it was uh, too difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was really, 
it was pretty natural, I guess. Um, singing and just I, I just went from singing a tenor tenor part to a baritone part, and that's the only difference, really. All right, cool. Um, how often does hardcore dynamics practice? Uh, so we practice two times a week uh, for two hours each, um, and then during competition season, we typically add a third rehearsal um, in there. Okay, yeah, and um, what is the purpose of Hardcore Dynamics? Because I know you mentioned competition. Like, is that, like, your main goal, or is it also, like, entertainment? Or, yeah, what would you say? Yeah, so uh, Hardcore Dynamics, uh, we're the, uh, like, the mixed acapella group that does, uh, that's uh, the, the main competing group of um, A&M for, um, I know we have, like, Swarum for uh, South uh, Southwestern. Uh, music, but for us, this is like the more we're the contemporary competition group, and so that is our main goal: is that we compete every single year in ICCA, uh, which is um, basically the competition that Pitch Perfect was based off of. Right. And then we, you know, do that, um, learn a set, dance it, sing it, and then we perform it. Um, we also do side gigs. Uh, we also do gigs here and there, uh, but not. Not too, not as much as let's say Apotheosis or Femadas. Right. Okay. You know, through these competitions, you've been quite successful. I mean, have, what type of places have you traveled to for these competitions? Oh, so um, we've gotten to travel to UCLA, so Cali. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've gone to Seattle. Uh, uh, we've gone to Phoenix twice. Uh, we traveled all around Texas, been able to perform in different universities. Uh, TCU, we've performed over there, performed in Dallas, um, and then we've also performed um, in New York on uh, on Broadway, um, our 2019 year. Awesome. Wow. Mm-hmm. Very well-traveled because of acapella. It's great opportunities. Um, you know, it's funny that you mentioned Pitch Perfect, because I, I was actually going to m- ask you, like, what you think um, about the way acapella is portrayed through the media uh, compared to, like, what it actually is. Are there any differences? Yeah, uh, I think there are a ton of differences and also a ton of similarities, right? Yeah. Uh, so competition season is always stressful. So, you know, seeing Pitch Perfect and them all, you know, getting ready for competition or something like that, it's uh, it's pretty similar, I would say. Um, you know, drama-wise, you know, that, that, that just changes year and year uh, between group and group. But um, typically we're way less drama than what, like, a movie would be like, true, <laughs> of course. True. Uh, but, you know, the... Uh, it's it's all it's stressful. Um, you're you're balancing the time between school and you're balancing the time between um, music, and one of the things that you don't really see that you don't see that as much inside of Pitch Perfect. Right. Yeah. Right, it's a lot to juggle. Uh, yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot different when it comes to juggling, mm-hmm. um, school and like singing in an acapella group. Right. Even the way like I think in the movie that you kind of just jump into a song and then everybody knows their parts and I don't think I mean we like. Um, get to the song that quick or like become that good at singing that song that fast. I think that's one of like the big differences. Oh, absolutely. There's no such thing as a riff off. Uh, right. That's never going to happen in real life. No. Nope. Uh, we've definitely been asked like, oh, can you do a riff off or something like that when you say you're not? That's not possible. Yeah, at all. <laughs> okay. Thank you for confirming that for me because <laughs> I wasn't too sure about that one. Um, also, what's up with the puns? Like, I feel like a lot of acapella group have like puns in their names. Is there like a reason for that or where that started? You know, I'm not sure. Um, I mean, there's so many different acapella groups with all these different like punny names, I guess. I, I think everybody just decided to go for it. And I think it's just become 
the mainstream culture of acapellas make your name punny right? mm-hmm. hardcore dynamics or uh, apotheosis or like you know fumatas that those they're all puns yeah uh, yeah yeah that's that's funny that now it's like the standard for like all the groups <laughs> it is it is um does hardcore dynamics have any upcoming dates that you'd like our audience to know about um so as of now for the rest of the semester we don't have a, a set performance uh that's going to be um we're going to switch back up and next year uh probably around january february time frame we're going to have the uh acapalooza event and that right. is when we invite all the other acapella groups from you know a&m from different schools um, around Texas and um, invite them all to drive up to College Station. And uh, we have built this uh, essentially big Acapalooza concert. Uh, and I think uh, that's just a great way to, if you are interested in uh, learning about acapella or, you know, want to hear some stuff from like acapella groups, different groups, more, uh, more gig groups or more um, competition groups something like that you'll be able to see that on stage at acapalooza so right um somewhere around january to february mm-hmm. awesome yeah acapalooza is a lot of fun i've been a part of it too we even like practice uh, a song with all the groups all together so i do encourage people to check that out um and what about if like there's an organization that's wanting to request a performance how would they go about that yeah so they would um email us at hardcourtdynamics at gmail.com and uh we'll you know uh, put that in inquiry and then we'll um, essentially check everyone's availability and uh, get y'all a performance all right well i encourage people to do so thank you so much waylon for stopping by and teaching us about hardcore dynamics of course thank you all right you guys that is the end of our show i hope you enjoyed thank you so much for listening thank you for a great year and i hope you all have a great new year's eve make sure to tune in next year I'm Hector Nino, and you've been listening to The Heart of Art, a production of 90.9 KAMU-FM. You can find all of our shows anytime at kamu.tamu.edu. The Heart of Art is brought to you by the Academy for the Visual and Performing Arts at Texas A&M University, bringing innovative and culturally diverse visual and performing arts programming to Texas A&M University and the Brazos Valley. The Academy for the Visual and Performing Arts fosters the creativity of our community via the transformative power of the arts. The Heart of Art is sponsored in part by the Texas A&M University Art Galleries, which includes the Stark and Forsyth Galleries located inside the MSC. The galleries provide a variety of opportunities to experience art exhibitions, events, and hands-on activities. More information at uart.tamu.edu.